In this, in this series of messages, we've been trying to get a, a clear picture of, of God's story that He's telling in, in, in the lives of key figures in the Bible and in some of the major events so that we can understand God's purpose that He's revealing to us in this story. We're calling this the epic story. Okay? The epic story of what God is doing through history, the story He's writing. We actually identify with so much of it. We re- so much of what we read in the Bible resonates with our hearts as we see ourselves in the struggle, uh, in the tension, in the rescue. We see ourselves in the story and we, our heart is, is, is drawn towards some of these people, some of the situations we've been looking at. Now what you see in the flow of, of history is that leadership, the area of leadership, is a crucial element that brings either blessing or trouble to those under a specific leader. Leaders bring good to their followers or they bring harm to their followers. Uh, I've read and heard people say that every leader leaves a wake behind them. A wake, like a boat, you know, leaves a wake. Every leader leaves a wake behind them. It's either a wake that those who follow after them can really enjoy and really learn from or it's a choppy wake, it's a harmful wake and it causes them to fall and their followers really struggle to keep moving. And so leaders leave wakes. Some of you are leaders. Some of you are leaders in the home. You're leaders on the job. You may be leaders here in our, in our church. You may be leader in another setting. Some of you are followers. All of us follow someone. There's, so, there's always authority structures in our lives. Human authority structures. So all of us have to understand both the roles of the leader and the follower. And sometimes we, did, we do a great job and sometimes we do a really sloppy job of playing these roles of leaders and followers. So this theme of leadership, it shows up in the Bible, starts showing up around this place where, where, we, are, um, where we left off last week. And I, and I want to start by kind of illustrating a little further this issue of how a leader leaves awake. And so here's a video clip from kind of the extra features from the movie Unbroken. Unbroken was about the life of a man named, named Louis Zamperini. He was a, uh, a prisoner of war. He was drifting at sea for days and days. I don't remember the, the exact number of days, but it was like over a month. Um, drifting at sea, and he survived, but he was captured. And he was imprisoned in a prisoner of war camp and, and nearly killed. But he, he was spared when the war ended, he was spared, he, you know, he didn't die, and he came back to the States. God got a hold of his heart. There were some things that happened when he was an, a prisoner that really shaped his future. He, got, he came home, and he committed his life to Christ, and he gave himself to start helping and leading troubled youth. And he ex- experienced a lot of troubled times as a teenager, and so he wanted to invest in the next generation, and he left behind... A, a, a wake. And I want to show you just some scenes from his funeral and then also just some things from uh, the lady who directed the movie that was written about his life. And so let's go ahead and roll this. For the 4th of July weekend, the flags of the city flew at half staff to remember a man we call our hometown hero. And now we're here today to celebrate the life of Louis Zamperini. 
I was actually on my way to bed on the night of July 2nd, and I heard my cell phone make a little noise and decided to check that last message, and it was Louis' daughter, Cynthia, telling me he had passed away that night. And I got down on my floor and had a, had a good long cry about it. And I felt almost surprised that he had died, even though he was 97 years old, because he seemed immortal. And not just because he had faced death over and over and found a way through every time, but because his spirit was so strong, so vital, that it seemed immortal. My grandfather has been a lot of things to a lot of people. He's a testament to the strength and resilience of the human spirit. But to me, he's always just been my grandpa, the loving, kind, and generous man who went above and beyond to give me a chance at a better life than he had and the wisdom to be a better man than he was. That's a tough act to follow. While my heart is indeed broken, we won't get to see Louie on the red carpet. His spirit and love of life will remain unbroken for eternity. The last time I talked to him before he passed away, I said, Dad, you're dying today, but your work continues, and his story is being told to millions and millions and millions for years to come. I brought the film to the hospital the day before he went to ICU, and uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing because he was, it was looking at this beautiful beautiful face of this 97 year old man with still sparkling beautiful blue eyes and showing him his life when he first saw the, the planes it starts with the planes and he saw Donald and he said under his breath Phil and I thought oh Phil he remembers Phil like it had nothing to do with whether or not I did a good shot or whether or not the, the movie's great he, didn't, he was just seeing Phil and when the flak went off he jumped and had a reaction because that was the war he was in and he remembers those days. And when he was running, when he watched himself running, was, I, I can't explain what that, I, I felt so privileged to be witnessing this moment, watching somebody who's at the end of their life, watching himself be at the peak of his physical ability and seeing himself with his brother, who, you know, in Louis's mind, he's, he was a very, very devout Christian and believed as soon as he passed away, he would be with Pete again and his mom and dad. And so to watch him reflect and kind of visit with them and remember their times together right before he was preparing to be with them in heaven. It was, it was extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I don't know if you saw that, that movie. It was it's a gripping movie. After watching that, uh, I read. I have uh, one of the books that that he wrote. I think it's called Never Give Up, Never Give In. And I read some of that with my with my boys just last last summer, I think it was. And just some of the leadership lessons that he passed on. See, this is what a leader does. A leader, they're leaving a legacy behind them. And this is how we experience leadership. Life is either really enjoyable for those close to the leader, or really painful depending on who's in charge, who's leading us. This, this is the way that God rules the world. He delegates authority to leaders in the homes, in the workplace, at the church. You know, He just delegates authority. And so, what you find in Scripture is this. God guides through the leaders He puts in place. 
He guides through the leaders He puts in place. This isn't your listening guide. We're going to walk through this together. He guides through the leaders that He appoints. Leaders are interwoven throughout the history of God's people, people of Israel. They turn out to be key to the success or the failure of the nation. In the Bible, you see three prominent leaders. And there are others, but I want to highlight three. The first was the priests. The priests, their role was to represent the people to God and God to the people. They played the role of the mediator. And this role developed out of the sacrificial system that that was set up to make things right when people sinned against God. And when people disobeyed, the, you know, the way to get things cleared up came through a sacrifice. And so, the priests would offer up a sacrifice on behalf of the people. They would stand between the people and God. They would offer up a sacrifice. That was a, a prominent role in the life of God's people. Second, there were the kings. The kings were political leaders whose spiritual leadership and obedience to God or not greatly impacted the nation of Israel. Now God, he, this was not God's preferred method of leading people. This wasn't God's preferred method of, of providing leadership to the people of Israel. And, and we're going to see how this came about in a moment. But the third role of leaders in, in the Bible were the prophets. The prophets were those who would speak God's truth, they would communicate God's desires, they would give warnings and judgments, and they would set direction. They would point the way after people, God's people had wandered off track, which happened often. When people would wander... God would raise up a prophet in an attempt to bring his people back into right relationship with God. Another prominent leader was the judge. And it's not up here on the screen, but the role of the judge, you can read about in the book of Judges. And so, we left off in Joshua last week. So, in the book of Judges, uh, you, you just have a series of, of people that were handpicked by God where a cycle would play out. The cycle was this. God's people would be obedient to him and then they would rebel. They would get off track And then God would allow an oppressive group of people to come in and capture His people. And they would cry out to God for deliverance. God would raise up a judge. And they would repent. And they'd start obeying God again. But over time, they would disobey once again. And they'd go through this same kind of cycle of disobedience. And they'd be oppressed by some foreign group. They would cry out to God. God would raise up a deliverer known as the judge. Who would, who would basically lead God's people out of captivity. And so you see this in the book of Judges, the cycle of, of God's people. There was a man named Samuel, and he was the last judge, and he was the first prophet. So there was this transition of really a, a, an era with a man named Samuel. And here's where the transition occurred. And you see in 1 Samuel 8, verses 4-9, through 9, where it says this, he's, he's a judge, It says, then all, this is chapter 8, verse 4, it says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old. So he's, he's the judge, he's one of their leaders, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have rejected, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that I have done for them, 
From the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So in this request, we can actually learn some really important lessons that you find in in some of these verses. In verse 5, it says, they say to Samuel, appoint for us a king. Appoint for us a king to judge like, like all the nations. And the first problem with this request, this was an unwise request here. Two problems. The first problem is this. They devised their own solution to their perceived problem. They didn't turn to God and ask God to fill the leadership vacuum that they were experiencing. Instead, they came up with their own plan and they said, God, would you appoint... Or, you know, they told Samuel, appoint a leader, appoint a king to lead us. They came up with their own plan. Second problem was their motive. Their motive, they said, like all the other nations around us. They, they basically wanted to be like everyone else. They, they realized, we don't look the same as everyone else. They, as they were taking the land, they could see there were all these kings in the land. And so they wanted a king. Now God's people need to always be willing to swim against the current of culture and against the current of our world. And if they don't, it creates unnecessary trouble when our main, really, motivation is to be just like the world around us and to fit into the world around us. Now, the leader, the leader's character impacts the followers under them for better or worse. This is the truth. This is a reality. Whoever leads us and their character is going to impact us for good, for bad. As the leader goes, so goes the rest of the group. This is just reality. Our leaders have tremendous impact on our lives. And now here they are in the promised land, They cry out for a king because everyone else had a king and so they wanted one for themselves. And so what God does is He grants them their request. He says, okay, you can have a king, but He warned them to always put their trust in God. Because a leader is never a replacement for trusting God. It's never a replacement for trusting God. So God gave them a man named Saul. And Saul, he was a, he was taller than most. He seemed like he'd be, you know, a good king. He'd be the kind of guy that would make a good king, sadly. When you study Saul's life, problems showed up early on the very, with the very first king. And at his first major battle, Saul was instructed by Samuel, who was the prophet at that point. Saul was instructed by the prophet Samuel to go to this location and wait until he arrived. Samuel said, look, I'm going to show up on this appointed day. It was like on the seventh day. I'll show up. I'll offer up a sacrifice. And we're going to ask God to bless this battle. I'll offer up the sacrifice. Again, Samuel's the prophet. Saul's the king. This is not the king's job to offer up the sacrifice, to seek you know, the victory of the Lord. So the prophet had an important role here. Now I want you to see the scene. Saul arrives at the place where God's you know, prophet was supposed to be. And here's what happens. This is in chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. This is a, this is a huge problem. Kind of Samuel's first, or Saul's first uh, leadership check. It says this, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. So it's on the seventh day. Samuel's to arrive on the seventh day. He said, this is what's going to happen on the seventh day. I'll be there. The time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So, so the king starts seeing that his people are getting restless. And they're, they're, 
They see the enemy, and they're concerned here at this point. So they start getting concerned and start scattering. Verse 9 says, So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings. And then he offered the burnt offering. So the king plays the role of the prophet at this point. Okay, He steps in and he takes Samuel's role. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, the prophet says to him, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering for me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. He's basically saying, Look, I didn't see you here. It was still the seventh day though. Somebody last service says, Well, how are you going to blame Saul for for this situation? The, The prophet hadn't showed up. Well, no, it was still the seventh day. He just got anxious and hasty at this point. Samuel said to him, well, look what he said. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. That's what the king said. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Verse 13, And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. The word there in Hebrew actually can mean stupid. Like, you blindly did what you wanted there. This was an act, this was a rash act of blind desire. He just stepped out in haste and he he did what he thought made sense. And the prophet corrects him. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which He commanded you. For then, meaning if you had done what God wanted you to do, if you just waited for then, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And then verse 14. Go ahead and move to the next verse. But now your kingdom shall not continue. This is the first king. Problems crop up. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So sadly, leaders struggle all throughout Israel's history. What happens with Saul just continues on and on and on. And so here's a quick summary of the leaders, the kings of Israel. Saul, as we just read about, he really didn't have a heart for God. He was the first king, but he didn't have a heart for God. And so he was replaced. He was replaced by David. David actually had a whole heart. It didn't mean, that doesn't mean that he was perfect because he made some major mistakes. There were some character cracks and he sinned royally. And you can read about his story. God still used him. He repented. He was confronted and he repented. When God sent a different prophet, Nathan, to confront him, David repented, turned his heart back to the Lord, and God used him. He got back on track. God used him in some amazing ways. His son was named Solomon. Solomon had a divided heart. He had half of a heart for God. He had a heart for God, but he kept a little bit for himself. He had legendary wisdom, Solomon did. People would come and and they'd want to hear his advice. They would bring problems. And However, his divided heart spoiled the end of his life. And so, Solomon is a sad example of how leaders need to finish faithfully to the end. You don't want... Think about your own life. you walking faithfully with God. Think about if in the, in the final five years, the final decade of your life, your half-hearted devotion spoils the end and, and damages the legacy that you'd like to leave behind. After Solomon's reign, the kingdom is divided. After Solomon, the kingdom is split into two, the north and the south. And of the 20 kings in the south of Judah, 
Of the 20 kings, 12 of them were evil. 60% of them were evil, wicked kings. And then of the kings, of the 19 kings in the north in Israel, 100% of them were wicked. They were committed to wickedness. Can you imagine just king after king, generation after generation after generation of God's kings, for uh, the kings for God's people committed to wickedness? And just the impact, the weight that that leaves for, for the people in the land. So since the fall, this is, this is actually what we experience. Leaders have been a mixed bag. Since the fall of man, and, and you know, we've had good leaders, bad leaders, wicked leaders, in all the arenas of leadership, in the homes, in the government, in the church, in the businesses. And so we continually experience the fact that disappointment and frustration are normal parts of being under authority. We have a hard time following well the leaders that God puts over us. And when we're let down by a leader, we wrestle down all sorts of responses. Here's a handful of responses. Sometimes we wallow in despair and we give in to complaining and we start getting bitter. And what that does, they can sour all of our interactions with the boss or with the leader. This can happen in the home to where there's just a sour interaction going on. There's like a caustic environment where there's bitterness that is just spread through the home. Sometimes... We might try to take over when we think the leader's doing a poor job. We think, you know, they're not seeing something. And, and if we're honest, most of the time, we, we do think if we were the leader, we would do a better job than that person. And so, we can get into that kind of thinking and then we can cross a line and start trying to take charge. And we, we say, well, it's my only option. And honestly, what it is, is it's showing that we're just relying on ourselves to, to, to fix the solution. We think that we can fix the problem. This can show up again on the job, in the home. And roles get reversed. Followers get confused on who's really the leader. Sometimes we need to watch out for stubbornness. Rather than getting on board and and following the leader, we start digging in our heels. And the leader says, look, we're going to do this. We dig in our heels. And we move, but we move slowly. And they drag us forward. and, And we are like the anger anchor in an organization. And we just drop anchor and we don't want to move. And sometimes we can even pride ourselves in being the person that's the anchor. You know, and that, that they got to get this one past me. You know, I'll get on board when I'm ready to get on board. And on and on. There's all sorts of responses. Another one is we just pick up and move. A common response is I just pick up and I move when I'm frustrated with the direction that this is going. And in, in marriage... When our heart to follow the leader diminishes, we might give ourselves permission to just bail and leave. We start entertaining wrong thoughts and following damaging thinking and desires. And so our response, this is at the bottom of your listening guide, our response to imperfect leadership can multiply our trouble. And so pay attention to how you respond. Don't, don't minimize this area. The right response is this. It's trust God as you follow the leader. Trust Him. Trust that God is going to work as I follow the leader. We put our ultimate hope in God to lead and protect us through the authority that He places over us. We keep reminding ourselves of the key perspective that's at the top of this listening guide. We just have to keep reminding ourselves God guides through the leaders He puts in place. And He's often shaping our character through our leader. God is often taking the time He needs to train and shape us and refine us into the people that He wants us to be. And oftentimes that comes through a lot of struggle and a lot of testing. And there are a few limits 
And so, there are limits on following the leader. We don't follow a leader into sin. We don't follow a leader into wrongdoing. But most of the time, that's not the problem. Most of the time, that's not what we're wrestling with. We just don't want to get in line with the leader. It's not that they're leading us towards sin. It's just that they're not doing it the way we think it needs to be done. And so it's a huge test on whether or not we're really a good follower. And the test is only passed when you disagree. And then you still choose to obey. And again, it's not when they're leading us into sin, but if you, it's not sin, but I just think it's a bad idea. I just think there's a better approach here. That's the test on whether or not you're following the leader well. But, and there are, there are a few legitimate reasons to, that come up that the very best thing could be to move and get out from under a leader. But before you make that move, you always want to consider this. Am I part of the problem? Am I part of the mess? Because if I am, if I move away from the mess here, that trouble is only going to follow me if I'm the source of the problem. So everywhere I go, I change the scenery, but the problems keep cropping up because it's really a problem inside of, inside of ourselves and our struggle to really get on board and, and to recognize, I need to follow the leader that God has put in place And for the most part, God works in our lives through the leaders that He's placed there. And so we need to work on just following. Now the prophet of Israel, one of the prophets of Israel, he, he, he spoke, Jeremiah, we'll pull up this verse and we're gonna wrap up with this. Jeremiah spoke in, you find it in Genesis, or Jeremiah 23. The nation was off track. The priests were uh, corrupt. Uh, the kingdom was, you know, divided. God's people were were uh, exiled, and so God, through the prophet, gives them some hope. He had just rebuked them in the verses preceding this, but then He gives them some hope. And here's the hope: Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is my righteousness. In spite of all the evil kings and the wicked, self-absorbed priests, God was still working out his plan. And through the prophet Jeremiah, God was preparing his people for the ultimate leader who would come, Jesus. The one who would come and really secure a kingdom that would reign forever and ever. It's the kingdom that many of you, you've stepped into that kingdom. And so in the same way that they needed to trust that God would keep His promise, the promise that we looked at that came to Abraham, we still can trust that God is going to work out His purposes even through imperfect and maybe even wicked leadership at points. That God is still going to work. We can trust God. The far majority of the leaders in the Bible had major flaws. That should encourage you if you're a leader. That encourages me when I read through the fact that these these leaders in the Bible were flawed. God still could work through them. Some some of you, you've come from righteous homes, righteous parents. Some of you have had godly advisors. Um, But if you're determined to have your own way in life, that's the story you see of many of the leaders. They had a good upbringing, but then their hearts turned. And so we want to be people whose hearts are fully devoted so that God would use us we can trust that God is going to work still. I want to, I want to 
ask you to look at the next steps at the bottom of your listening guide and, and maybe think through a couple of very specific points to apply this morning's message to your life. My next step today is this. It's to make it a joy for so-and-so by doing so-and-so, by doing blank. It could be like, make it a joy for my boss. You might write your boss. By, by getting on board. By Maybe it's, I need to pull up the anchor. I dropped anchor. I need to maybe now just pull the anchor up and get moving. I need to stop dragging my feet. Maybe it's something at home. You can write down a specific point of action. What is it that you can do? Maybe it's an encouragement. Maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's to highlight something. Maybe it's just to make a commitment. I'm not going to nag my leader. I make a commitment not to nag my leader once this week. Not at all. And you feel it rising up inside of you and you're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to... Because again, that's a taking charge. Or whatever the specific point of application. Another step today would be to trust God with a whole heart. And hope in Him alone. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word and, and just the this, this area of leadership where as we see the history of Your people and now as they've requested a king and how corruption quickly came amongst the kings of, of Israel and, and of Judah. Lord, we just pray that as we see ourselves, Lord, in some of the stories and the characters, Lord, we can connect with that issue of half-hearted devotion, the struggle to be wholehearted, Lord, the struggle to, to be hasty, the struggle to follow leaders. Father, we just pray that you'd help us in the specific areas of our lives where this crosses over with us from day to day, week to week. God, help us to really consider just a way to apply this, Lord, today as we as we leave, or that we would be people who are putting into practice the difficult steps of faith that you call us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.